I'm Jeanette Braverman, connector, entrepreneur, author, business professional, and yes, a public official. I've successfully pivoted multiple industries and along the way, I've met a lot of wonderful people. And now I've started a podcast called Keep the Conversation Going. Why? Because I have a lot to say, but most importantly, because I'm a continual learner and researcher. I love hearing from leaders that are also leaving legacies and making a difference in the lives of others. You see, that's my tribe, and I'd like you to meet them. I'll be interviewing leaders from around the world and just regular people that are also leaving a legacy. Please note that all of their opinions and beliefs are their own, but I guarantee that the conversations will be so interesting that you'll want to keep the conversation going. I look forward to hearing your feedback. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. This is Jeanette Braverman with Keep the Conversation Going, and I am here with attorney Isioma Wabuzor. Isioma is a corporate attorney by trade negotiating deals for an international financial services company. With a strong dedication to her profession, attorney Wabuzor presently serves as a board member for both the sports and entertainment law and IP and technology law sections of the State Bar of Wisconsin. She is an alumna of the State Bar of Wisconsin's Leadership Development Summit and a member of the Association of Corporate Counsel. Most recently, she was featured as a TEDx speaker for UW-Milwaukee Spring 2019 symposium called Enlighten Up, where she gave her highly acclaimed talk, The Dreamer Next Door. We're going to talk more about that today, but I would like you to join me in welcoming attorney Isioma Wabuzor to our show. Hi, Isioma. How are you today? Hi, I'm well. Thank you for having me. I am so excited about today's discussion because first of all, tell everybody how old you are. I am 29 years young. You can't be. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you are so very accomplished. Mm -hmm. And Thank I you. mean, to have just earned your doctorate, I mean, and you're doing things, Thank you have you. your own business. So I'm going to stop and allow you to just share your journey with us. Yes. Start from the beginning. Okay. Well, that means a lot coming from you. So thank you so much. Um, my journey is a, is a pretty long one. So The Dreamer Next Door, which I'm sure we'll talk about more later, um, is a play on my history and my immigrant journey in this country. So I come from immigrant parents who immigrated to the United States from Nigeria. I myself was born in Nigeria and was brought to the United States when I was 18 months old by my parents. Oh. So the United States is all that I know. Yeah. Um, coming from an immigrant family, education is heralded. Like, there, it's not an option. Either you go to school or you go to school. <laughs> There's no <laughs> alternative. Um, and so education has always been... Um, important in my household and so as you mentioned I went to Rufus King the best high school anywhere go yes, generals yes. <laughs> I went to Rufus King for high school even there I was pre-IB earned my IB diploma immediately after I went to Marquette University for undergrad where I double majored in psychology and political science wow. my the maternal side of my family all lawyers. So my maternal grandfather um, was one of the first 50 attorneys in Nigeria. Um, my maternal step-grandmother was one, the second um, 
woman lawyer in Nigeria. And so that was, that's, that's my familial history. And so it was sort of expected. Just a family of lawyers. Exactly. Exactly. So it's medicine on my dad's side, um, lawyers on my mom's side. People always joke like in Nigeria, if you have Nigerian parents, you can either be a doctor, a lawyer, or engineer, pick one. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I genuinely wanted to pursue, um, the legal, the legal field. And so in 2012, I went on to Marquette Law School. Um, and that's a three year experience. And here I am today, a practicing attorney. That's amazing. And so are you enjoying this role? I love what I do. Um, You know, people ask me all the time, like, why did you want to be a lawyer? And aside from just the familial underpinnings of it, I think it's a very versatile professional degree. It comes with a lot of credibility. And I'm someone who's naturally inclined to want to help people. Mm -hmm. And with that degree, whether you want to run a business, whether you want to be a professor, whether you want to work in a corporation, you're always fixing, you're always problem solving, you're always helping people. And so I think it lends itself to my natural inclination to want to help people Mm -hmm. um and just the adversarial side of me and wanting to fight and advocate and so I love what I do wow so now do you have siblings I do so I have a younger sister she's 27 I'm sure a lot of people know (laughs) as well you know they talk about my siblings and I a lot so my younger sister is 27 and then I have a younger brother who's 21 who's a senior at Marquette Oh, really? Yes. What, Marquette High? Marquette uh, Marquette University. University? Yes, so he's, oh, a, he's senior a senior there. So, so he'll he's be... about to graduate, yes. too. He, okay. My parents are about to be empty nesters. <laughs> wow, so did, so did your sister also major in a similar? So my sister Did double majored in uh, business and kinesiology. Okay. And my okay. brother is double majoring in political science and sociology. Oh, so they're doing something a little mm-hmm. bit different. Now, is he thinking of going on to law school? No. So he says he, he can't do it. I think part of it, he's like, oh, she's the lawyer. Like, they're going to hold me to this standard. So he insists he's not. He's um, more grassroots, I think. So okay. he wants to be out in the community fighting, marching the streets, pounding the pavement. Um, so I don't think so, but I try and convince him regularly. Like, you would make sense such a great lawyer great I think lawyer. he'd be a better lawyer than I would because he's he's all about the people and not mm. to say that I'm not but I think you get some of the most change where you're in the grunt of it yes. you know when you're on the front lines and I think he's willing to do that kind of work and yes. so I think he'd be a better lawyer than me but we'll see what happens <laughs> so um so what about your parents what are they what do they do here yes so my mother is they a regist- both live here yes they do okay okay so my mother is a registered nurse um my father is now retired but he um owns his own medical transportation company and he Mm. did he'd done that for years and so um you know hats off to my parents kudos to them I owe them everything um and they made the ultimate sacrifices to um, establish opportunities for my siblings and I Mm. you know the thing about coming to the United States from another country and as immigrants is you know your degrees don't necessarily transfer over right you know you could be yeah you could be a doctor or whatever where you're from and then the minute you come here you're starting all the way back from square one And so, you know, my mother back in Nigeria was a professor of linguistics. Um, My dad was in agriculture. And so they came here and just started all over. Um, And so, yes, thank you, mom and dad. That's a journey. Yeah. Bless. Oh, blessings to them for doing (laughs) that for all of you. And so now let's talk a little bit about your talk, your TED talk. That was huge. Thank you. This just happened, right? It was in April of this year. Okay. So. Tell us about that journey and like, how did that happen even? Why did you even, 
How did you how did you actually, I guess, investigate that whole process? And then I think you have to interview. Yeah. So it's so funny you ask that because I get this question all the time. Like, how did this process even come about? So it actually started in March of 2018. So for years, of course, I'd known I was a dreamer from the time I started college back in 2008. Mm -hmm. And. I was just like, I feel like I have this burden, this testimony, and I feel like no one really knows all of me. Mm. And But I just knew it wasn't the right time to share it. And I'm like, you know, I'm very spiritual. I'm like, God will tell me when it's the right time to share this side of my story. And so in March 2018, so, you know, I like to be involved in the community. So when I was in law school, I sat on the National Executive Board for the National Black Law Students Association. Mm. So I was the National Convention Specialist, and the convention was held here in Milwaukee. And so as National Exec Board, as a National Exec Board alumni now, when they do things, we still go back and support. And Nabalsa turned 50 in 2018. Okay. So a ton of us went to New York for the 50th annual convention. And Angela Rye also happens to be a Nabalsa National Exec Board oh, alum. I love her. Yes, yes. So One day I'm going to meet her. Yes, I've met her twice. Nabalsa sci fi to the day we oh die. My it's- God. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so it's a. Um, I am so a, jealous right now. Yes, 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 cousin Angie. So, <laughs> um, you know, we're a, a very um, tight knit alumni family, and so we all went out there for the fiftieth, and she was one of the keynote speakers. Okay. Um, and she has this uh, the way she does her keynotes, at least the ones I've observed, they're more interactive. It's mm. a lot less talking to you. It's okay. She said we have a room of almost a thousand lawyers and practitioners. She said, you guys don't need me to preach to you. She said, what we need to do in this room is strategize and do things that we can take back to our respective communities and implement. And so she's like, we're working woke. She's like, this is a work Mm. session. She's like, this isn't a keynote. I need you guys to get up and say what we are going to do when we go back home. And so now you got all these lawyers and law students lining up to the mic saying, this is what we need to do. This is what we need to do. This is my idea. This is what we need to recognize. This is what we need to understand. And we're just listing things, listing things. She just riled y'all up. (laughs) She did. She did. Working woke. I love it. And so I get up and I was like, so something for me that has always been important to express to my my demographic, my racial demographic, is that the media has a tendency to silo what is what are our issues. So okay. what's a black issue? Police brutality. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you think of black issues, LGBTQ issues don't readily come to mind. Right. Immigrant issues don't readily come to right. mind. Maybe even, I mean, gun violence to an extent, but when you're thinking about these suburban communities and mm-hmm. things like that, that doesn't necessarily come to mind immediately. And, you know, it's very important for me, for all demographics, um, to recognize that every issue is your issue. Yes. Um, and until we get to that point, I don't see us making as much progress as we can make. And so mm. one thing that I want to say express That's, that her- I just have to pause for a moment yeah. you know, <laughs> and do a little dance because every issue yes. is your issue. You know, because you don't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. You can look at any sort of sociopolitical issue and you will see someone who looks like you in that demographic. Yes. It's just not what's on television. It's just That's not, right. you know, the type of person people are talking about. And you know, I'm I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I think, you know, it's very much the way of the world to condition people and things to the way we want it to look like exactly. to to share our narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's our responsibility to take ownership of our issues and our narratives and fix them as we see fit and so it was very important for me to express that at that convention at her keynote quote Mm. unquote Mm -hmm. (laughs) address Mm -hmm. and so I get in line and I'm like okay I'm gonna tell these people I'm a dreamer because Mm -hmm. I'm one of them I'm alumni of the national exec board I'm a transactional attorney you know I need to know that they have one 
And this was right around, I want to say, the Muslim ban. Okay. So there was a lot going on. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to get up and say this. And I get up there and I get nervous. I'm like, I'm not oh, going to tell no. a thousand lawyers and law students that I'm, I'm an immigrant. <laughs> and so I go and sit back down. And, you know, God works in mysterious ways. So I turn to sit down. And a young lady who was, like, sort of, um, you know, guarding the line, mm-hmm, sort of um, mm-hmm. policing it. Right, right. She is like. The usher. Yeah, the usher. The usher. Usher. She was like, you know, um, she's like, you're the last one. I was like, that's fine. I was like, I'll go sit down. Let someone else who wants to speak, um, Mm -hmm. you know, speak. She was like, you can sit down. She was like, but if you sit down, I'm not giving anyone else your space in line. And I'm like, okay, maybe that's God telling me to just stay here. You know, you're just going to give up a spot to talk. Just stay here. So I was the last person to speak. And I said, someone had expressed something similar to what I wanted to express previously. And I said, thank you to the sister over there for telling us that we need to recognize what black issues are. I said, I'm a national exec board alumni. Um, I'm an attorney. I'm a transactional attorney working in a private equity owned corporation. And I'm a dreamer. I Mm. said, so know that when you go back to your respective communities and you have politicians and other political players on the news talking about dreamers, they're talking about someone that looks and lives like you. And I got a standing ovation. Wow. I was like crying. I got like 30 hugs. Like Angela, she has, um, she has this guy who works for her. His name is Eugene. Shout out to Eugene. He came and got me. He was like, Angela wants to talk to you. Like she wants to see you. And you know, I know. And I was just, I was not expecting that. It was very overwhelming. I got back to Milwaukee. I had like 20 LinkedIn messages from Mm. law students, Fordham law, Fordham law review wanted to interview me, all this crazy stuff. And I'm like, okay, this is a bit overwhelming and I'm very big on, okay, I want to control my narrative. And so I said, I got this momentum. One of the things that's, most frustrating for me is when you say something and you express something and it stops there and I said well how do I keep this public dialogue and discourse going so I have a sorority sister who I love who's one of my closest friends Raina Andrews Mm -hmm. she previously done a TEDx talk through UWM so a few months after that you know Raina and I go to lunch and I'm at tandem I remember it was at tandem and I'm like Raina I have an idea for a TEDx talk what do you, how do I, how do I go about doing this? Anyone who knows Raina, she is so constructively critical. Like her first thing was, well, I need to hear this idea. I love her. <laughs> I love Raina. Like she is so, like Raina will get you together. Okay. Yes. So I'm like Raina, but you know, she's, honest. she's so honest and right? she, she means like the most well for you, mm-hmm. the most well. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like Raina, I haven't shared this with many people. I said, I'm a dreamer. I said, I already have a working title, the dreamer next door, all this stuff. I said, the dreamer next door. And once I pitched the idea to her, she was like, I absolutely love it. She was like, this is going to skyrocket you. Like as a woman, as an immigrant, as an attorney, she was like, here's the information for who you need to contact, reach out to them. So I reached out to the curation team over at UWM. They directed me to the application. It was so funny. So Because Raina's done it before. Exactly. Right? Okay. Exactly. Okay, so I she knew the process. That. She was familiar. She knew the appropriate contacts. I reached out to them. They sent me, they directed me to the application. And then um, they got, so I think I applied maybe in June or July. They reached back out to us in August and they were like, okay, without a question, like we want you to participate. Mm. Our concern is for you. They said, if you did this, will it create any potential problems for you? And I was like, I lead by fate. You know, I lead by faith. I yes. don't leave by, leave by sight. I said, and I consulted my God spiritually before I applied for that application. Mm. And so I what told. What did they say about that? They were like, oh, my God, like, we love you. Like, we, of course. Like, so they, <laughs> I 
afterwards, um, you know, they're like, okay, so we're going to reach out to National ACLU. We're going to reach out to UWM's Office of General Counsel. We're going to just to make sure that everything is kosher and we're not creating any problems for you. But we absolutely would like to proceed. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, that was my thing. My prayer to God when I had applied for that um, TEDx talk was if this will not bring anything positive to me or anyone around me, don't don't grant it to me. Mm -hmm. You know, my prayer is never like, oh, give me this TEDx talk. I want to do it. Give me this. I want to do this. Give me this recognition. Give me what will fuel your purpose for me on this earth. And so when I got it, I already assumed because I had consulted with God spiritually that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So anything else wasn't a concern for me. Yes. And so after that, it was a nine month curation process. (laughs) So you meet for at least once a month. And then, of course, the two months leading up to you're meeting more regularly. Where between December and April, what, 12 minutes? And I don't even know where it went. (laughs) And it was so many things. People were like, no, you know, and, you know, you still have to stay true to your narrative and story. There were things people wanted me to take out. And I insisted, like, no, I cannot leave this out. And there were things that. You know, they wanted me to add, and there were things that they had told me to take out. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. That's just superfluous information. Why do I need that? Yeah, so, just the highlights. Exactly. Right? Exactly. The um, transformational points. Exactly. That people will resonate with. That's amazing. Yeah. But, but what a journey. God is good. I mean, God so just good. think now you can speak everywhere, anywhere. <laughs> I try. After I try. That nine month period. Yeah. You, like, right. They just made you an expert speaker. I know. It's such a, it's such a growth. It was, for me, it was very therapeutic mm-hmm. because also keeping in mind and humbling humbling therapeutic everything because this isn't a story I had shared publicly the day I did my TEDx talk was the day some of the closest people found out closest people to me found out I was an immigrant you know after the fact I had so many calls like why wouldn't you share that with me like why wouldn't you tell me that like I've known you for this many years and I never knew that like Mm -hmm. I would never guess and you know so it was a lot of emotions outside of just performing the talk that comes with its own set of nerves it was a lot of explanation after the fact and you know again with it being 18 minutes there's only so much of my story I can share so there were a lot of gaps that people were like well what does this mean well how did this happen well how did you do that and well, so let me, let me ask you this um when you did the talk what were some of the key takeaways that people were coming up to you reiterating so one of the big things so my goal was to appeal to people's emotion that was always my goal mm. because I know when you're talking about controversial socio-political issues if you lead with the, your position on the issue, mm-hmm. half of the half of the crowd in the audience you're going to write off right away. And so in my while I was curating it and writing this talk, my first thing was like, you have to make people sad. That's one of the happiness, sadness, anger. Those are core human emotions. If you can make people sad, they'll listen to you. Mm. And so I was like, you have wow. to make them sad and you have to make yourself sound as much like them, if not better than them. And I mean that in the most humble way, hum- yeah, humble right, way, right. but you have to make yourself, you have to make them sad and you have to make yourself sound as much like them mm-hmm. as possible. And so that's why I led with my resume. It was so funny when I first performed the talk for my curation team, they were like, yeah, we were wondering where you were going with it at first. They're like, yeah, you're really accomplished, but why are you telling us all this stuff? And, you know, the, there are two things people respect in the United States. I believe that's education and that's money because both of those can bring you power. And so it was very important for me to establish that I was very well educated, that I'd worked to get myself where I am and, you know, 
I was a hard worker. Yeah. And that's why it was a, the play. The dreamer next door is a play on the girl next door because the girl next door is the average girl. You don't, don't think twice about her. So I did the dreamer next door. And so I was very like, okay, let's appeal to emotion. Let's uh, uh, make myself seem very much like them. And then I dropped the bomb. Mm. So. Okay, so you dropped the bomb. Yes. So I dropped the bomb and I revealed that I was a dreamer. And, you know, it's so funny because people, even after the fact, hadn't seen my, having seen my TEDx talk, they're like, we, you said you were a dreamer. And we're like, okay, I'm a dreamer too. Like, I have goals and ambitions. And it, I contextualized it as I went on with my talk and saying, you know, not tri- not dreamer in the traditional sense, not the conventional sense, not the Webster's Dictionary version. Um, dreamer as it relates to immigration and how it's characterized. Uh, characterized in this country and so yeah I dropped that bomb and then it was it was all uphill from there um I got a a a great response yeah so you know we didn't really talk about this earlier but you know at your role or in your role at Baird how do they respond to you being a dreamer? Uh, So Baird was one of the if not my job was the um the the thing I had to contemplate the most before I decided to do the TEDx talk. Mm. Um, Baird is amazing. Uh, absolutely amazing. The arguably one of the best companies I've ever worked for. Um, but I recognize that I'm in a financial services industry um, that typically looks like one demographic. Mm-hmm. Um and so I was very much, you know, the reality of it is that when you go to, if you're a dreamer and you work um, in these companies, the HR department knows that mm-hmm. they have to know. You have to submit that before you can even begin working. But it's not widespread knowledge. And so I wasn't telling anyone. I wasn't talking about it. I don't even know how they found out I was doing a TEDx talk. I might have mentioned it to one person and then one person mentioned it to another person, but I refused to invite any of my coworkers. Really? I did not tell anyone. I probably told two of my close coworkers. It's um, a huge deal. I know, but I was just so afraid of it just like permeating throughout the company and I didn't want it to turn into this big deal. Um, So, you know, I do work in a company that's regulated by the government, by the securities industry. So things like that, I have to report through our compliance team for them to approve. Mm -hmm. So like the powers that be knew, but I wasn't, you know, telling it so people could talk or come and support. But like I said, I think I told two people and they spread the news and Baird, our associate resource group, some come call them employee resource groups, um, business resource groups. Our multicultural resource group is one of the best work families I've ever had. And once they got wind of it, they did like a PR announcement, a press release. They disseminated it. Some of my coworkers came to the TEDx talk and the response subsequent to it has been amazing. I mean, even on LinkedIn, they're always like in my posts, my coworkers (laughs) are buying my merchandise and I'm just like, Oh my God, I didn't expect this. So Baird, I love you. Prism, I love you. And I've gotten an amazing response. So let's talk about the merchandise that you have on your site. now you're also an entrepreneur. You yes, have a yes. I have a nine to five and a five to nine. Yeah, I get it. I get <laughs> you know, um, I sometimes I wake up and I'm like, what did I, what did I do? Like I should have just been like everyone else and just gave the talk and kept it moving. <laughs> I had to go and start an entire business and nonprofit. Um, but, you know, again, as I alluded to earlier, I didn't want to do a TEDx talk and then that'd be it. You yeah. know, you stop talking about it in April. Mm-hmm. And I want to keep the momentum going and not because of the TEDx talk itself, but because of the um, the magnitude of the issue. And so I said, OK, 
how do I keep this going? How do I keep people talking? How do I get the TEDx talk was sold out, but it was only um, there were only 500 seats. And so how do I get this message to people outside of the 500 people that were in the room? And so then I got the idea that, hey, let's launch this site. Let's get merchandise, you know, just own this, the dreamer next door thing and have it express um, what it means and what it means in the modern sense and and sell it, sell those shirts, sell those designs. And, you know, I got a ton of support from that too. Like I, I didn't anticipate it. I was just doing it. You know, they're not like the, the swaggiest shirts, you know, right. it's not like, but what you know, I'm say? not selling do Ralph say, Lauren. Do they say dreamer? Next yes. Door so or? there are, there are all kinds of different designs. So, okay. you know, I have, um, now one of my new favorite designs that I launched is Turn Your Outrage Into Action, which addresses broader socio-political issues. We live in an outrage culture, yeah. and people get outraged on Twitter, they get outraged on um, Facebook, on Instagram, and then don't do anything about it. So that's one of my designs. I have um, my dreamer design, which just has the modern definition of what it means to be a dreamer. A dreamer is someone who looks just like you. The dreamer next door is the girl next door. The girl you wouldn't think twice about. You see her every day. Hey, how you doing? Normal. You know, that's the dreamer next door. And so I have that design. I have like a classic dreamer design that's funkier and kids tend to love that one. I have a language design. I have a ton of designs. Oh, but what's most important about it is that, you know, I haven't made a dime off of any of that, but a portion of the proceeds over, other than like the operating and overhead expenses to design the shirts, a portion of the proceeds goes to my scholarship that I started for undocumented students who are pursuing higher education. And so that's what that's about for me. Okay, awesome. That's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. No, that's you're you're putting your passion to action and that's what I Ooh, call it. Oh, that, that sounds like a shirt design. I doesn't it? Oh, I like that. As long as I get credit. Quotable, that's right. <laughs> you, 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 your royalties. <laughs> I love it. And so let's talk about um your law school journey mm. and you know, what advice would you give to young girls that are interested in pursuing law school? Yes, yes, yes. So I, I find this so very interesting mm -hmm. that you're a lawyer. <laughs> you're a dreamer you know you have the tools to get through the entire process mm -hmm. you understand exactly where you're at mm -hmm. you know because mm -hmm. you're a lawyer yeah so you get yeah. all of this you exactly the, yeah you get the the legal side of things mm -hmm. right regarding your current state mm -hmm. and so I just find that very interesting so for other dreamers and young girls out there that are maybe interested in pursuing their doctorate mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and are just like you mm -hmm. what kind of advice would you give them yeah yeah I'm in I'm, a, I'm in a very interesting position being a lawyer yes. and still being someone who's relegated by the legal system exactly and yeah it's very it, it makes for a very weird dynamic I have a particular particular level of insight that makes it just very awkward that others uh, don't that, uh, that exactly other dreamers do not exactly and so um you know it's an advantage but sometimes you know it's very disheartening um because I'm still working to uphold people's legal rights and things but no one's working to uphold mine mm. you know and so that that's that's where it, it sort of gets to me but I'll answer answer that in two parts so just for girls or young women who want to pursue a legal education I always tell people legal the law is different than any other sort of professional degree because it's adversarial Okay. So you're always combating someone. Wow. You're always you're always arguing against someone. You're always negotiating against someone. You're always trying to level up or win against someone. And so for people who have natural collectivist personalities, the law school journey can be a bit um, it can be a shock. 
mm. initially because again it's adversarial i mean we have a curve we have top 10 percent. then once you finally get in the workforce again you're always against someone whether it's the uh, corporate environment or whether it's the courtroom you're always against very someone interesting. yeah and so when you think of things like medical school or dental school or any other sort of phd program it's more collaborative you know no mm. one's fighting against to save a life you know you guys are working together to save a life you know no one's fighting to fix that person's set of teeth you're all working together collaboratively to fix that set of and teeth and i guess you're right any type of law it doesn't really matter no you're always fighting you're fighting something. someone like i work in corporate law you're always negotiating against the other vendor or the other party or the other corporation awesome. you know whether it's when you whether you want to spend less money whether you want to get more out of the deal and so it's not fighting in the traditional sense but there's always something that you're trying to win from and the you, other and party you have to be extremely analytical overly analytical detail oriented analytical dot your i's cross your t's um and so what i would say to young women who like to pursue don't let it knock you off your square Mm. like if you if that's what you want to do understand that if i can do it you absolutely can do it (laughs) and you know you get a lot of um uh, uh, imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. once you get to law school I think that's where I felt it the most not even in the profession but in law school because you are dealing with people who have been told they're the greatest all their life they've gotten their best grades all of their life they've been told how smart they are I mean law school is full of alpha personalities even the more reserved and shy people are still alpha personalities because they've been successful to an Mm. extent and so now you're dealing with a pool of like overachievers Gotcha. You know, how do you combat that? And so second and third generation law students. Exactly. I mean, when I was in law school, the library was um, one of the girls in my class. The library was named after her grandfather. Oh, wow. You know, so that's the kind of that's the kind of <laughs> arena you're dealing with. Um, and again, there's a curve. So the top 10 percent is deemed, you know, the group that's going to get the best paying jobs are going to land the big firms. They're going to make, you know, 160 K plus coming out of law school. And so, th- again, that can be very intimidating. And all I can say, I'm a person in the face stick to your faith stay true to who you are don't let anything knock you off your square and if you know that's what you want to accomplish um and that's been confirmed by your faith then just see it through just see it through like i said if i can do it you can do it absolutely that's great (laughs) advice yes and so um and they're for dreamers i'm sorry yes no there's a second part of the so for dreamers who want to pursue law school it's so funny that you mentioned that because um the supreme court heard oral arguments on daca so deferred action for childhood arrivals this past November, um, they'll they'll you know issue a judgment on it or a ruling on it probably in Q1 of 2020. But one of the um, attorneys that was representing Dreamers is a Dreamer himself, oh. and so all that to say, like your 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 testimony is your power. You yeah. know, like if anyone should be a lawyer, it should be a Dreamer. Yeah. You know, if anyone should be a lawyer, it should be someone who's been, you know, victimized by police brutality. Mm. If everyone, sh- if anyone should be a lawyer, it, so- it should be someone who's been affected by gun violence. Like those are the people who we need because you see what happens when the system doesn't protect you. And wow. that gives you a certain That's level powerful. of insight and fire to advocate for the next person. And so if anything, the ideal candidate for law school is a dreamer. You know, Absolutely. you you are the one know you know all the facets and you understand how to fix it so i'm 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 with you more power to you oh i love that (laughs) yeah because i mean they're the ones that can they truly understand the cause Mm -hmm. and and they're definitely going to be passionate about it exactly exactly they're going to stick with it who can advocate for you better than yourself Mm. 
you know and so when you when you've been relegated or when you've been affected by socio-political issues if you want to pursue a career in the legal profession you're absolutely the right candidate to do so that's awesome all right so any final thoughts you'd like to leave with our listeners <sighs> final thoughts well i'll say follow me um on social media so i on instagram i'm at Isioma N. Um, that's my Facebook page as well. Um, my Twitter is at Isioma, my full last name, so N W A B U Z O R. And visit my website, IamIsioma.com. Please purchase merchandise. If merchandise isn't your thing, please feel free to donate to the scholarship fund. Um, I am a 501c3, so all contributions and donations are 100% tax deductible. Awesome. Thank you. And I will definitely make sure that I drop um, your website link and yes, the podcast post on my website website awesome. and then also on the podcast sites and so my podcasts now are on eight different platforms Ooh, so they're out there you. i know i'm loving it <laughs> so they're out there for android users yeah. iphone users you name it yes every i was just looking you at your um Looking at your site today, I'm like, look at Jeanette. Aww. You have all these big wigs lined up. I love it. I lo <laughs> and you're one of them. Oh, please. So, yeah. Thank, <laughs> thank you. you. Thank you for being in my tribe. Thank you for having me. I love you. Yes, I love you more. <laughs> and so for all of you listeners out there, thank you for listening in once again. Please follow us on SoundCloud and any other platform of your choice. Um, like our podcasts that are out there and we'd love to hear your feedback and comments so please drop some comments out there for us and until next time goodbye